Take your Bible and turn to Psalm chapter 5. Psalm chapter 5. Psalm chapter 5. Y'all, 12 verses. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King, my God. For unto thee will I pray, my voice shalt thou hear in the morning. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and will look up. Thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight, thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come in thy house in the multitude of thy mercy. In thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness. Because of mine enemies, make thy way straight before my face. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. Destroy thou them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against thee. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee, for thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. Lord, has blessing toward this word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the opportunity we have to be assembled together tonight. Thank you for uh, thy word. I pray as we look into the, this passage of scripture tonight and consider the subject of prayer. And uh, I pray that you'd help us to be ready to hear and, and to do, uh, not be hearers only, but doers also of your word. And we pray you be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I titled this tonight, Prepared to Hear from God. Prepared to Hear from God. And of course, the, the uh, theme is about prayer, but I have three things with a lot of sub-points I want to look at tonight. First of all, our claim to prayer. Uh, the second thing is the character of our prayer, and the third thing is the consideration of prayer. So the, our claim to prayer, verses 1 through 3, and, and I, have, I have several things, three things here that I want to consider about that. First of all, we are his own. We have a claim to prayer because we are his own. In verse 2 he says, Hearken unto my voice of my cry, my king and my God. There's, so there's, a, there's an, a, a possession there that we are his. You know, a king expects to hear appeals from his own people. You know, he expects, you know, just like a president's going to expect to hear from his own people. Uh, and we are the children of God, you know, by the promise of God, by the covenant of the New Testament, by the blood of the Son of God. So we have a relationship thereby, whereby we have access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith in this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope, of the glory of God. 
In Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4 speaks a little, some to this. In Hebrews 4 and verses 14 through 16. The Bible says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So here the Bible tells us that we can come because of our position, our place, and, and having our high priest in heaven, our go-between, we can come boldly unto the throne of grace. We don't need to be timid about it. Now, uh, just like a child, you know, I don't, I don't think one of my children is going to go to Brother Welch and say, Brother Welch, I need a new pair of shoes. Now, why wouldn't they do that? Because he's, he's not their dad. No, they, they would come, might come to me and say that, you know. Without reservation. I mean, if you need a pair of shoes, you need a new pair of shoes. I said, go get them yourself. No. Uh, but, you know, because I'm, they are mine, you see, they have that, that right or that access uh, to have their needs met and, and don't have to come timidly or fearfully. No, we can come boldly under the throne of grace. We don't have to be afraid to go to God in prayer. In Hebrews 10, verse 17. Hebrews 10, verse 17. And, and I'm, gonna, I'm starting verse 17 for, for a reason, because it says there, And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. So the offering is complete. There's no more offerings. Our sin has been paid for. And on that condition, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter in the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, we, 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 we have a claim because we are his own. And we can come to God boldly without fear. We have that access by right of our relationship with him. But we are, you know, as we consider this claim, we are to pray with preparation. Notice verse 1 of our text in Psalm 5 says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. And this, this speaks of meditation. Psalm 39, Psalm 39 and uh, verse 3, Psalm 39 verse 3, the psalmist said, My heart was hot within me, while I was musing, the fire burned. Then spake I with my tongue. So his heart was hot and he was musing. And then it says, then he spake with his tongue. So David first mused. That word mused, muse means to meditate, to think. You know, muse means to not think. That's what television does to you, makes you not think. Does your thinking for you. Uh, anyway, uh, so David mused, then spake with his tongue. And I think this is, this is kind of a pattern in the, in the Bible. Nehemiah, when the, the messengers came from Jerusalem and told Nehemiah the condition of the city of Judea, city, uh, the city of Jerusalem and the walls there, 
It says in Nehemiah 1.4, it says, It came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. One commentator said this, quote, Meditation is like the charging of a piece and prayer is the discharging of it, unquote. Now he's talking about a military piece. So it's like, meditation is like loading your gun and prayer is like, Shooting it, firing it. That's what is the idea here. Uh, so there is some preparation. He said, "I." He said, "Consider my meditation, and give ear to my words." And then verse three he says, "For my voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee." Now the word "direct" there doesn't mean that I'm going to go toward you. It, the word "direct" here means. To lay out or set in order. Like a woman lays out a table or sets the table in order. You ever, your mom's ever tell your, one of your children like this, go set the table. What are you telling them to do? You're telling them to set in order the plates, the, the silverware, the, cu the cups, the glasses, whatever, and the napkins, you know, to set the table in order. And the word direct here has the idea of, or the meaning of, to set in order. Again, it, it refers to, it's used in reference to how the, the priest would set in order the, the showbread on the table. Um, <laughs> excuse me, Proverbs 9.2 uh, uses a different word here, but it means the same thing. We're talking about a wise woman. It says, she hath killed her beast, she hath mingled her wine, she hath also furnished. And that's the idea of the set in order her table. So the idea behind direct is not to aim, but to order or to arrange. Uh, one commentator said, quote, it's the word that is used for laying in order of the wood pieces and wooden pieces of the victim upon the altar is also used for putting the showbread on the table. And it means I will arrange my prayer before thee, or I'll lay it out upon the altar in the morning, just as a priest lays out his morning sacrifice, unquote. So, so the idea here, we're to set our prayer in order uh, before the Lord. And then, and then we notice also here, we are to pray with expectation. Again, in verse 3, he says, My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and will look up. This is a phrase of expectation. The idea of a watchman of a city expecting to get a message or to hear a message. And so David's saying, I'm, I'm directing. I set my prayer in order for you, and then I'm expecting an answer. I'm going to set like the watchman looking how you're going to answer my prayer. I'm expecting to hear from you. You know, we ought, to, we ought to be able to expect to hear from God. Go to Luke 18. Luke 18. Luke 18. It says, He spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. There was a widow in that city... She came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. He would not for a while, but after he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. 
And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear along with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. So we can expect to hear from God. You know, the problem is, and really what the Lord is saying here in this passage, the problem is not that God won't answer. The problem is that we don't pray. Shall the Son of Man find faith when he cometh on the earth? That's the last phrase of that. You know, we find people that really believe God and will pray. So we are to pray, directing our uh, or setting our prayer in order before him and expecting an answer. One commentator said this, Thomas Brooks was his name, said, I quote, quote, the prophet in these words makes use of two military words. First, he would not only pray, but marshal up his prayers. He would put them in battle array, so much the Hebrew word imports. Secondly, when he had done this, then he would be as a spy upon his watchtower to see whether he prevailed, whether he got the day or no. And so much the Hebrew word imports. When David said his prayers, his petitions in rank and file, in good array, then he was resolved, then he was resolved he would look abroad, he would look about him to see at what door God would send an answer to prayer. He is either a fool or a madman, who is he is either very weak or very wicked, that prays and prays, but never looks after his prayers, that shoots many an arrow toward heaven, but never minds where his arrows light. Unquote. And so we need to direct our prayer to the Lord. We are his children. We have, we have access, and we need to expect God to answer. We pray expecting him to answer. Uh, where he is, he is. You know, think about it, the unjust judge. And shall not God avenge speedily his own? So our claim to prayer. Secondly, the character of our prayer. Uh, our God, of course, must be approached in righteousness because he is a holy God. You know, it is possible for us to direct our prayers to God and expect answers as we walk with him and obey him. But he has no pleasure in or, or will he dwell with evil. Notice verse 4, For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. Uh, you know, we can't expect God to hear our prayers if we live in wickedness or, or, uh, or live in sin or dwell in evil because God cannot dwell with sin. Uh, of course, God desires to hear, hear and answer our prayers. Psalm 84.11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk. Anybody know what the last word is? uprightly that's a conditioning word there in that that sense uprightly them that walk uprightly again james 5 16 confess your faults one to another pray one for another that you may be healed the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much and then it goes on and talks about how elijah was a man like passions we are yet he prayed earnestly and it would not rain and it rained not, and then it prayed, he gave, prayed again, and the heavens gave rain. So, so we have to be we have to be walking in obedience and in righteousness for God to, to expect God to answer our prayer. You know, God will also God will not tolerate fools. 
verse 5 says, The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Now the word foolish here means proud or insolent. Insolent or disrespectful. Uh, Proverbs one twenty two says, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity, and the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. You know, God has no delight in fools, in foolishness. Fe- er, not Ephesians. Ecclesiastes 5.4 says, When thou vowest a vow unto God, to prefer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. You know, a fool... Sp- Proverbs says, the fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth in till afterward. A fool just runs his mouth. Doesn't think about what he says. Doesn't think about the cons- there are consequences to words. And he can be very disrespectful. He just says whatever he thinks. And sometimes his thinking is, and his thinking is usually warped. Uh, you know, think about being disrespectful. When I was in seventh grade, I had this math teacher. Her name was Mrs. Hindman. And you didn't soon forget Mrs. Hindman. She was, quote, hard. At least what everybody said. But, you know, I didn't think she was all that hard. Uh, if you pay attention to class, do your work, don't be a fool and ask dumb questions, you'll do just fine. But, you know, if you want to be a fool, be like the guy in the middle of class, she's doing a math problem on the board, teaching math, and Ken raises his hand. And she says, yes, Ken. And he says, when is the first day of fishing season? You know, she's in the middle of explaining a math problem on the board. And Ken asks, when is the first day of fishing season? Well, I'll just tell you that didn't go over too well. He ended up in the principal's office. But, but he asked, he was being a fool. You know, a lot of people think they're going to play the fool with God. You can't. You can't. God will not tolerate foolishness. You know, he wants sincerity and truth. And we're to worship him in, in, in truth. So he will not uh, tolerate fools. We must come to him with purity. Verses 6 and 7 says, Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. Leasing means lying, really. The Lord will uphold a bloody and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the middle of thy multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Um, We must come to God with purity. Look at uh, Psalm 24, verse 4. Psalm 24, verse 4. Verse 3 says, Who shall ascend in the hill, Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? In other words, the idea here of coming into the presence of God and the holy place. And then it says, He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. So, you know, God has, you know, you know, we must come to God with purity, uh, without falsehood, without lying, without deceitfulness, um, without, with clean hands. Uh, we must come to him with purity. And we have to approach him, of course, through God's mercy. Notice again verse 7. But as for me, I will come unto thy house in the multitude of thy mercy. 
So David's here saying that, you know, the ground upon which I do come isn't my own righteousness or my own good needs or my own purity or holiness. It's because of thy multitude of thy mercy. Of thy mercy. Uh, of course, you know, mercy means it has the idea of God withholding what we deserve. And when we understand God's mercy, it shows that we understand our sinful self. Otherwise, you know, we don't deserve to come into his presence. We don't deserve the access wherein we stand. It's simply of God's mercy that we have this access and this privilege. It is not of ourselves. And so the psalmist rightly says, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy. And he, he goes on here and says, not only in thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Of course, fear means reverence uh, or, or, or afraid. And of course, when we understand and, and, and demonstrate uh, reverence, we, understand, we, uh, we show that we understand the holiness and the greatness and the magnificence of our God. He's not the man upstairs. We don't come to him speaking disrespectfully or approach him or worship him disrespectfully. Yeah, the whole, the whole uh, contemporary worship practice is really disrespectful to a holy and righteous God. You know, when David was fasting and praying for a son that was sick, and then when he died, the Bible says he got up, he washed himself, and he changed his apparel and went into the house of the Lord. Now, he, didn't, he took off his mourning clothes when he went to worship the Lord. He put on fitting apparel to go worship the Lord. You know, people, people today think, well, we, we can just go to church just as we are. You know, it doesn't really matter what you wear. It shows what you, it, it gives you, a, a, it, it kind of demonstrates what you think about God. I mean, if you were going to meet uh, some high elected official, would you just dress that way? Some people probably would. I remember the last time I was in court. And the way some people dress to stand before a judge. It's, to me, it's, Unbelievable. Um, but it shows you that there's a lack of reverence. They don't understand the reverence of God. He is, he is holiness and righteousness. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we ought, to, we ought to show that in the way which we live and the way that we address him and speak to him and conduct ourselves in worship to him. So we must come. As we, as we come to the Lord, we have to come with purity and in reverence and in the multitude of thy mercies. So, so we have a, a claim to prayer. We have our, the character of our prayer. And then I want you to notice the third thing, consideration of prayer, verse 8 through 12. Uh, three things here also. It says, 
first of all, we need to seek his wisdom to lead us. Notice verse 8. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face. So we need to seek his wisdom to lead us. Now notice what he says here. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. You know, in warfare, one of the things that they always, you know, they always do is they learn as much as they possibly can about enemy positions and also tactics, plans and preparations, how to conduct a war uh, so that they'll, so that to us to, to uh, prevent, you know, to keep from having so many, as many casualties as, as possibly can. They want to have victory. And, and if we want to live a victorious Christian life, we have to have the wisdom of God to lead us right, the right way in this wicked world in which we live. Understand, we're living in enemy territory. Satan is the God of this world. The kingdoms of this world are the kingdoms of Satan. One day they're going to become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. Revelation tells us that. But they're under his dominion right now. And so we need him to lead us rightly as we live in this world among the wicked enemies. Who The word enemies here really uh, means watchers. Somebody says it describes them as watchers. You know, they're watching us. They're spying on us. You may live in a glass house. You didn't know it. Everybody's watching you. Yeah, I wonder what them people are really like down at Lighthouse Baptist Church. And they'll watch you. And so we need, we have a special need of guidance from the Lord to conduct ourselves in a right way before our enemies. He says here, verse 8, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. And that phrase, in thy righteousness, someone is described as an attribute implying faithfulness in promises as well as threatenings. So we need to be faithful in the promises of God as well as the threatenings from the enemies. You know, the enemy always, one of the things they will do is try and threaten you, to shake you, to move you. You know, a lot of the bullying that goes on in school is, is threats. It's just threats. And people are afraid of threats. A threat is like a shadow. It doesn't do anything to you. It just might scare you. But it doesn't do anything to you. And a lot of those threats just need to be addressed. And the threats would go away. You know, we have a president that's finally addressing the threats. And the threats are backpedaling. But if we give ground, guess what they do? They increase the threats. No. You know, we need, we need, to, we need to, to, to have the wisdom of God to lead us to live rightly before our enemies. Uh, he says to make thy way straight. That is to make the way of providence plain. Make God's plan and purpose and his, his uh, uh, 
direction for our lives plain. Psalm 27.11 says, Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Because of mine enemies. Mark 5, or not Mark, Matthew 5.16, Let your light so shine before men, they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know, Psalm 37.23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So we need to have the Lord order our steps. It would save us a lot of trouble. You remember in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 10, the king of Assyria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware thou pass, thou, that thou pass not such a place, for hither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there, not once nor twice. See, here the, 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 the king of Assyria is going to war against the king of Israel, and the Lord directs the steps through the man of God of the king of Israel, and he saved himself not once nor twice from being defeated. You know, if we would just let God direct our steps, we'd save ourselves from trouble many times. Proverbs 4, 14 and 15 says, Enter not into the path of the wicked. Go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it and pass away. You know, we need to stay away from the wicked, the path of the wicked, the way of evil men. Don't follow in that path. Turn away from it. And so we need the wisdom to lead us in paths of righteousness or simply to make right choices that we may glorify him and not be a stumbling block to the world or fall into the snare of the devil by his flattery. Notice verse 9, it says, For there is no faithfulness in their mouth, the inward part is very wickedness, their throat is an open sepulcher, they flatter with their tongue. You know, one of the great deceptions the devil in the world uses is flattery. Flattery. He says there's no faithfulness in their tongue, in their mouth. They flatter with their tongue. Spurgeon said this, quote, Always beware of people who flatter you, and especially when they tell you that they do not flatter you, and that they know you cannot endure flattery, for then you're being most fulsomely flattered. So be on your guard against the tongue of a flatterer. Unquote. So beware of a flatterer, of those that would flatter you. You know, and the world has, uh, Satan has enticed many of God's people, and they've fallen prey to his flattery, thinking that things will be better if they just give in a little. It'll be easier for you. You know, I've heard this. Well, if we do that, we'll lose our family. Who said that? No. You obey the Lord. The Lord will take care of your family. If you compromise to save your family, you're going to lose it. I can guarantee you that. That's flattery of the world. It attracts 
So we must guard against it, um, the deception of the devil. And then not only do we need to seek his wisdom lead us, but we need to pray the Lord. Are you ready for this? The Lord would destroy them. Man, preacher, that sounds rough. Well, look at verse 10. Destroy thou them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against thee. Now, the word destroy here means, to, doesn't mean to annihilate, but does mean to inflict with punishment or with guilt. To inflict with punishment, with guilt. You know, when someone's living in sin, we ought not to pray for their success. That puts you in agreement with them. No, we need to pray for the judgment of God to suffer the guilt of their sin, that they would brought to be brought to the end of themselves. Notice again here it says in verse 9. For their, uh, no, I'm sorry, verse 10. Oh God, let them fall by their own counsel. So their own counsels need to be brought to naught. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions. So again, the idea has, uh, they, you know, they've rebelled against thee. So bringing the consequences of their own, their own uh, uh, actions upon themselves, their own sin upon themselves, so they bring an end to themselves. You know, we're not to help the ungodly in their sin. We're not to enable them in any way. You know, 2 Chronicles uh, 19.2, chapter 18, Josaphat went, went up to Samaria and joined affinity with Ahab, and, and uh, Ahab says, is not Ramath Gilead ours? And we sit here idle? You know, the Syrians had taken it. Yeah, it is. It was theirs. It was rightfully theirs. He was right in that statement. But yet the prophet, in chapter 19, when Jehoshaphat came, or came back, Jehu, the son of Hananiah, sent overnight to meet him and said, Jehoshaphat, shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon thee from the Lord. It may be right that Ramah Gilead does belong to Israel, but it's not right for you to go help that wicked king. And to encourage his success because he's in rebellion against God. No, let him be destroyed or brought to the end of himself. Let him be afflicted with guilt and punishment. Is the idea here in this prayer. That he be brought to the end of himself. So, so we need to seek his wisdom to lead us. Uh, pray to the Lord destroy them. And then the third thing. We need to rejoice. We ought to rejoice in the favor of God. Notice verse 11 and 12. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. For thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him, compass him as with a shield. So we ought to rejoice in the favor of God. The word favor here means goodwill, the goodwill or favor of God. You know, Joseph and Daniel, and of course Mary was spoken of as highly favored by the Lord. You know, Proverbs 19.12 says, The king's wrath is as a roaring lion, of a roaring lion, but his favor is as dew upon the grass. 
You know, it's kind of like, I got to think about that a little bit today. You know, when our former president was in, it just felt like a weight. Because we know he's against us. But this one, it's different. I'm not saying he's a good and godly man, but he certainly favors the righteous. And, and as we think about this, God defends us. He favors us. And, and, and his favor here, he says in verse, uh, verse 11 again, because thou defendest them. He defends us. God is our defense. Look at Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1, verse 8. Said, The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There's none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And that word escheweth has the idea of he runs away from. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But for, for, put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. Now, Satan here says to the Lord, you defended, you got a hedge. The word defense here in our passage in Psalm 5 means to cover or to hedge about. And Satan said to the Lord, you've got a hedge about Job. On every side. And God didn't deny it. He didn't deny it. Because he did. Because he did. Because Job was his own. You know, I will, I will protect my own. If the need arises. And God will protect his own. He will compass. With favor wilt thou compass him. That word compass again means to surround. So there's a double emphasis here. Really. A compass as a shield. Now the, the word shield speaks of a covering of the whole soldier. The whole soldier. Psalm 91, verse 4 says, He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. So he gives a couple of pictures here. One of a, a, a hen covering her, her chicks with her feathers. You ever see a, you know, I remember we had chickens at home for a while, and uh, we had bannies. And bannies have a way of protecting themselves. Uh, but anyway, you know, and they'd have little chicks. And sometimes, you know, they'd sit down on the ground, and those little chicks would run underneath them, and they'd just disappear. Couldn't see them. They were out of sight. They were completely compassed about. They were surrounded with mom's feathers. Out of sight of predators, protected, you see. And that's the idea here. And, of course, then he talks about a shield and a buckler. And of course, those are army uh, ornaments. Uh, not ornaments, um, 
defensive um, armaments, is the word I want, armaments, to protect the soldier. And again, the idea here is First Samuel twenty three twenty six. You remember Saul was after David, and you know, and 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 part of that verse says, "For Saul and his men compassed David and his men round about to take them." I mean, he had him completely, completely surrounded. But word came the Philistines had invaded part of the land, and he had to he had to to leave. Saul had to leave, but he had David completely surrounded. I wonder who. I wonder who nudged the Philistines and said, hey, go, go into the land of Israel and, and take some things there. You know, I wonder who did that. I'll tell you who did it. The Lord did. That's who did it. You know, Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and deliver them. You remember Elijah and his servant? They were in Dothan, I think. And you know, he was, of course, he had told the king of Israel where the Syrians were going to camp. And the king of Israel saved himself twice. And somebody, te- and the king of, king of Samaria, or king of Syria finally said, all right, where's he at? And they said, he's in Dothan. So they went and surrounded his house. And the servant, they get up in the morning, and the servant looks out and says, alas, master. And Elisha said, open his eyes. And he opened his eyes, and the whole mountain was filled with chariots of fire round about. See, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Now, I'm going to make a statement here, though. God doesn't favor people, per se. He favors, he favors acceptable worship. See, God's no respecter of persons. Yes, he does favor the righteous because he favors acceptable worship. And anyone, regardless of whoever they are, if they will worship him acceptably, will be favored by him. Remember when Abel brought his offering and then Cain also brought his. And the Lord had respect unto Abel's, but not Cain's. Of course, Cain was wroth. But the Lord said to Cain, If thou bring the right offering, thou shalt be accepted. It wasn't that he favored or had respect to Abel more than Cain. It was that Abel brought the offering God requested. In other words, Abel uh, worshipped God in the way God is to be worshipped. And Cain refused to. Therefore, Abel was favored and Cain was not. It was all based upon acceptable worship. You know, our prayer needs to be acceptable to the Lord if we want God to hear us. We want God to hear us. So, you know, we have a claim to the throne of God. We need to avail ourselves of it. You know, the psalmist said, evening and morning and noon, will I pray and cry 
will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Is God hearing from you and I? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time in your word tonight. Thank you for the encouragement and the challenge it gives to us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to make our cry unto thee, make our petition to thee, have it prepared in a way that's pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, that we might hear and you might show yourself strong and favored your people. We pray in Jesus' name.